Hello, my name is Holly Lewis. Lawson Keeney! Lawson And I'm Jean Lewis. The hell? <laughs> You're not a Pokemon. I think we've been visited by a Pokemon uh, in the shape of Lawson. Oh, oh no! We, we've stepped into the wild grass. Yeah, like I've said, I'm Holly Lewis, your resident Pokemon master and yes. aficionado. Uh, there's a bit of going to be a bit of rain sounds on my end and possibly on Lawson's as well. Yeah, Articuno it's, and Zapdos are pissed. It's bucketing here. Yeah, uh, which is pretty good considering how dry it's been most of the year. Nothing we can do about it. Not within our control. Talk to the big man yeah. if you've got any problems with it. <laughs> yeah. So we have watched Pokemon. I choose you as the deep dive for this week. But first, we're going to talk about what we've seen within the week. Lawson, why don't you start us off? Oh, I would be glad to. I have watched nothing but Pokemon this week. Nothing at all but Pokemon. I will start us off with Pokemon Giratina and the Sky Warrior. It is an anime action adventure fantasy Film directed by Kunihiko Yuyama. Uh, again, all of these, bar one, which I will call that when we get to it, are directed by Kunihiko Yuyama. Ash, played again by Sarah Nato Cheney. Dawn, played again by Emily Bauer. And Brock, played again by Bill Rogers. They're on their way through the world of Pokemon. They run into a Pokemon called Shaman, voiced by Amy Pallant. And he's on the run from Girard. No, she, I, I forget. They all blend together after a certain point. Reading this, reading the start of this synopsis that I wrote for myself, I originally thought it was a different movie than the one that it actually is. But this Pokemon, Shaman, is on the run from Giratina. Giratina runs a reverse world kind of situation where it's this weird interdimensional yeah, thing. The, the distorted world. Shaman's the little hedgehog one that looks like a bush. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there are all these distortions in space-time that are going on in the reverse world, and this is apparently the result of the previous movie, the last movie that I talked about last week, where two Pokemon that were never supposed to meet met and caused a whole bunch of problems. Uh, so it's a sort of double... I, I will get to it, but it's a trilogy, Harley. It, this is causing all sorts of pollution in the reverse world, uh, and... The gang has got to resolve that and get Shaman to some place called the Flower Garden so Shaman can hang out with all of their Shaman buddies. For the first time, as I mentioned, there is a link to a previous film here, and this is more effective than some of these movies. There's a story structure here. They, they are going to the attack, to the garden with all of these attacks occurring from the reverse world as they go. There's time for characters. I gotta say that Shaman is a little shit. I didn't particularly like Shaman. Uh, it annoyed me a little bit. But you can't just, and this is the same problem I had last week with some of these concepts. You can't just throw the reverse world at us with no prep. You can't just say, hey everyone, there's a reverse world now. I'm buggering off and just accept it. You gotta do a little more groundwork there. 
I mean, it is a kids' movie, Lawson. Sure, which to me means you should contextualize it even more so they understand what the hell you're talking about. If I can't grasp what's really going on here, how is a kid supposed to? Yeah, but a kid isn't going to sit down and analyze it, are they? Well, a kid's going to be like, "Oh, well, that's cool," and just accept it at face value. You, you didn't kids. know me as a child. Uh, Clearly, but you weren't a regular child, were you? No, I was not. This is a a vague. The, the connection to the first is vague. The connection to the previous movies is just a little bit vague. It's it's not properly. I find it difficult to connect the dots as to why what happened in the last movie is really affecting what's happening here, but whatever. It descends into mindless fighting again for the last third. It's too long. It's could've, it could have ended 20 minutes earlier. The design of the reverse world is pretty cool, though. Like, just visually, the look of it is kind of interesting. It's one of the better ones of these, but it's not good. Uh, next up is Pokemon, Arceus, and the Jewel of Life. We got Ash, Dawn, and Brock. They're back. They're on the way to a town called Michina. Thousands of years earlier, Arceus, the creator of worlds, uh, Arceus basically is fun- God, f- functionally the God in the Pokemon. Really? Universe. Well, they yeah. didn't mention that part here. They just said that he could create worlds, and they they didn't say that yeah. the main one was created by him. But they said that stuff like the reverse world, the those interdimensional stuff from the from the movie I talked about last week, that those worlds have been created. And yeah. what I'm what I'm going off of is the lore in the game. Okay. Um, Arceus being the primordial god. All right. Well, he's apparently been in hibernation for thousands of years because he gave life shields that he turned into a jewel of life whatever the hell that is he gave those to some humans who were living in a barren wasteland and who helped him out one time and the humans used that to to make this wasteland all fertile with plants and wildlife and you know water and a wonderful little paradise and then they betrayed Arceus when he came back for the life gem. They didn't want to give the life gem back because they thought it turned back into a wasteland. And they attacked him, and so he's hibernated for thousands of years because of his injuries, and he's finally waking up, and he's understandably pissed. And because God, as you explained it, is waking up, that's what's caused all of these weird problems in the last two movies. Well, Ash and the gang are caught in the middle of this, and all of the legendary Pokemon from the last two movies come back, to help them out because they're all on side with with Ash and the gang now because of how Ash and the gang helped them in the previous two movies. Well, they're they're also part of the universe that's in danger. Yes. Well, the one that controls time from the movie I talked about last week, I forget the name. I don't really care even. But the one that controls time sends Ash and the gang back in time to when all of this happened and Arceus was betrayed thousands of years ago. To try and stop it. This is the end of a loose trilogy. On the Pokemon curve, it's okay. The the movies are weakly linked. I doubt that it was planned from the start. This really has the feel of something that was come up with on the fly. It's a decent plot though. It has a proper narrative. There are there are actual motivations and goals and obstacles to be overcome. The nature of the time travel stuff is interesting. I like it as a concept. I like that you get to sort of explore the world of Pokemon. Before Pokemon, before the current stage of things, like you go back to a world before Pokeballs, before they weren't even called Pokemon. So that's 
kind of fun. You get to see basically what medieval life looked like in this fantasy universe. The fights are shorter, which I loved. Nothing is particularly groundbreaking here, though. It still drags. It throws out new concepts that are not particularly well-seeded within the lore of what's been presented to us. There's a, a, a lady that can see into the hearts of Pokemon and communicate with them on some primordial level. Just, she, she can. Leave it at that. She just can do it. The time travel concept itself kind of comes out a little bit out of left field, but it looks good. There's much more sophisticated CG going on here as well. The, the tech aspects of it have continued to increase. It's okay. I can't recommend it, but it's by far the most tolerable one of these I've seen in a while now. It also happens to be the 350th movie I've seen this year. Hey, mm -hmm. there you go. Next up is Pokemon Zoroark Master of Illusions. Ash, Dawn, and Brock are back. There is a shape-shifting Zoroa, voiced by Eileen Stevens, a special Pokemon. Uh, she, This Zoroa is on the run from an evil businessman named Grings Code, voiced by Sean Schemmel, and... Zoroa is basically blackmail for a more evolved version of Zoroa, Zoroark. Zoroark has sort of assumed a parental role over Zoroa, and Kode is threatening Zoroa to get Zoroark to do what he wants, which is to create illusions to clear a town of people so that this businessman can come in and find a time ripple so he will be able to see what's going to happen in the future. His time ripples only turn up occasionally when a Celebi's on the scene, apparently. Because he saw one 20 years ago and it gave him visions of the future. And that was how he became a big businessman. But it started to die out. It started to slow down. So he needs to have another dose of the time ripple. Whatever. This is more dull and monotonous fighting fitted to a threadbare plot. I don't even know what to say. It's all meaningless. It's just wandering through an empty city fighting... The clairvoyant stuff is underexplored. I would have liked to see a little bit more done there. Zoroa is a little bit grating, but there's some amusing mimic stuff where he will assume the, the form of different Pokemon and people, assume the form of Ash and run around for a little while. Kode is at least the cruelest villain so far. He's the most unrepentant villain. There's no softening features on him whatsoever. He will be outmatched. In a, in a movie later on, but I'll get to that. Team Rocket's been in all of these, by the way. I just haven't really <laughs> mentioned Yeah, them. there's been no point they to mention They just sort of them. turn up. It's all just gibberish at this point. Whatever. Next up, I watched two movies that I need to talk about at once. Pokemon the movie Black, Victini and Reshiram, and Pokemon the movie White, Victini and Zekrom. Ash has ditched his buddies. He's now hanging out with Iris voiced by Eileen Stevens, and Silen, voiced by Jason Griffith. And they're on their way to Eindoke Town. And over Eindoke Town is Sword of the Vale Castle. It is a floating castle that was moved with the help of the Pokemon Victini many years earlier due to where it originally originated, uh, the Vale, Sword of the Vale Castle. The Vale was pretty inhospitable. There was some natural disasters going along at the time. So Victini's helped move this castle. Well, Damon, voiced by J. Michael Tatum, he's this fellow, a descendant of the people who used to live in the Vale, and he's obsessed with the idea of 
moving this castle back to where it was and the power of the castle will then turn the veil back into what it used to be. But to do this, he is going to harness the power of Victini, who is not a willing participant in all of this, because it turns out that the natural disasters were not natural, that the reason that the thing was moved was because it had that the castle was moved because it had to be moved because that was the only way to stop what was going on there. It's none of this is very well explained, guys. If I sound like I'm being vague and unexact here, it's because the movies are vague and unexact. This is two movies. It's like the games uh, that the games would have: Pokemon White, Pokemon Black, Pokemon Diamond, Pokemon Pearl, and you get different starter Pokemon, basically, and you have the most minimalist... No, you get a different legendary Pokemon. All right, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> you get a... a Well, the starter Pokemon were different at the very beginning when they were doing that, right? The Pokemon Red and Yellow? No, I'm fairly certain you still got to choose. No, no, in, in Yellow, in Yellow, you start with a Pikachu. Was it Red or Blue? It was Red, Blue, or Green and- to start off in the very first set, and that determined yeah. whether you got... A Bulbasaur, a Charmander. No, you would. You choose. would choose in red, blue, and green what you would start out with. In Pokemon Ye- Yellow, you always start out with a Pikachu. I feel like that's. I know that that's the case for Pokemon Yellow because they kind of did that after. Um... Yeah, that was like a special sort of bonus thing. Uh... Oh, I I must be thinking of the Game Boy Advance um versions, the Leaf Green and Fire Red. Okay. Not that o- OG lot. Um, but I'm fairly certain you can still choose. But, like, the different colours denote right, pretty yeah. much different legendaries. Sure. Well... Or slightly different plot. Well... Yeah. There's there's very minimal differences in the differences between the games. It doesn't change the bulk of the game whatsoever. I've always thought yeah. it's a con, basically. A pretty anti-consumer thing that uh, Nintendo gets a pass on that no other company would get a pass on. Can you imagine if Activision or EA did a game where they just sort of changed one minor thing about it and Lawson, charged full price e- for both of them? Lawson, don't give EA any ideas. <laughs> hey, if Pokemon can get away with it, I've always thought it was a con, but and I kind of think these movies are a con too. But they're bundled together most places. Not in Australia, though. Uh, there is a stronger story here. The background stuff is interesting. Damon's Quest is interesting. The cost that that has to Victini, to the environment, that stuff's all a little bit more interesting than normal. Victini is adorable. He's lots of fun. There's plenty of character work. There are much fewer lapses in pacing. Drones on a bit at the end fight. It's more interesting than usual, though. The differences between the two movies are so, so minimal. It basically comes down to which legendary Pokemon is going to turn up to assist the gang at the end. Mm. The fight is the same. It's just like a palette swap, basically. Uh, You get tiny, tiny bits of differences along the way as well, like the opening scene is different actually the opening scene is probably the only scene that totally changes version to version but i resent this strategy because it made me have to watch one of these pokemon movies twice basically yeah that in some of the games the differences in the plot would be hey in this one this group are a bunch of eco-terrorists who want to turn the world into lava and the other one is a group of 
I think, religious fanatics who want to drown the yeah, world. Yeah, in, in uh, Ruby and Sapphire, those plots are significantly different um, yeah. because of the different evil team. But for the most... Because the entire deal with them is different, yeah. entirely different plot points. Yeah, it's different location, okay. specific yeah. story events, but for the most part, it's the same general through line. Yeah, but really, the general through line of Pokemon is you go out with a we'll Pokemon get, we'll get into and you that. steal money from children. Yeah, yeah. Or at least that's what it's like watching Harley play it. Next up, Pokemon the movie, Curum versus the Sword of Justice. Ash, Iris, and Silent are back. They're on their way to Roshan City. They find an injured Pokemon named Caldeo. He's sort of like a miniature unicorn thing. He's voiced by Vic Mignogna. Mignogna? I'm sorry. Vic. Uh, <laughs> Vic? None your business. He's training for Swords of Justice as basically this vigilante team of Pokemon who want to protect the place. But he gets a bit hot-headed and he prematurely challenges a legendary Pokemon named Curum, voiced by Mark Thompson, uh, which is the final challenge that a recruit for the Sword of Justices has to do before becoming one. He thinks he's ready. He's clearly not. He has is forced to run because Curum will give no quarter, and he is followed. <laughs> and Ash has got to help him out. Uh, he's got to find his courage to go back and face Curum and become a sort of justice. This is back to the doldrums. The opening third is okay. All of the setup stuff, the introduction of the Swords of Justice, um, that initial bit, but then it becomes really fight heavy, and that's all white noise now. I just don't care anymore. Caldeo is mildly irritating. Um, his evolution that he goes through at the very end, he becomes the next... Well, he, he, he gets a sort of justice pose. I'm not sure if it's a, an official Pokemon evolution, but he gets sort of like this special horn thing that he turns... Like, he, he changes appearance, but then changes back to his original appearance when he's finished fighting. I, I'm barely hanging on here, guys. All, I'm, all I know is that the thing that he changes into sure looks like he's got a dildo attached to his head instead of a horn. <laughs> the Swords of Justice stuff is pretty cheesy, that there's this superhero team of Pokemon wandering the countryside. And I'm not loving Iris and Silent. They're just approximations of better characters. I'm kind of not sure why they keep swapping out the supporting characters. It's not like the actors are ageing and, you know, it's... Yeah. Well, it's like region-specific sort of side characters from the games, yeah. and of course, there's the TV show. Yeah, all of this stuff is tied into the narrative there. Like, he gets a different group of people every new, like, country he goes to, basically. Yeah, each new region. This one is the first film not to have a Team Rocket subplot. It is mercifully shorter than these past few movies have been. This one's back to the 72-minute mark, so I'll give it that. But it's more monotonous pablum. Next one, Pokemon the movie Genesect and the Legend Awakened. Ash, Iris, and Silent are back. They're going to the Pokemon Hills Park where Pokemon can sort of hang out in the sort of wildlife sanctuary in what appears to be an approximation of Central Park in New York City. It, there's a skittish pack of Genesects. They've been cloned from fossils in the way that Mewtwo was earlier on and they've been treated pretty badly by these scientists, so they've escaped, but they're wary of humans and they come in and they take over the pokemon hills park but mewtwo is back he wants to help them out and he wants to to show them how to exist in the world when they are scientific clone creations 
but he also wants to defend people and Pokemon from them, try to get them to calm down a bit. Mewtwo is on the case. Yeah. Mewtwo has become female in the interim. Mewtwo has gone from a male voice actor to being voiced by Miriam Paltrow. What do I, what do I say about this? Hmm. I What more do you want from me? Uh, this is a thin plot. Even by the standards of these Pokemon movies, this is a thin plot. Mewtwo repeats the same journey that Mewtwo had in Mewtwo Strikes Back. The only reason that they can get away with it is because Mewtwo wiped Ash's memory at the end of that movie. Barely anything is here, really. It's it's just a bit a mild bit of setup, and then they all hit each other. Poltro as Mewtwo is pretty good. I'll give it that. I haven't really called out the voice acting in a lot of these, other than Akue Otani as Pikachu, but Poltro is pretty decent here. I'm at the end of my rope, though. I'm really... Uh, I, I'm running out of steam. Next up, Pokemon the movie, Diancie and the Cocoon of Destruction. Ash has once again ditched his friends. He's now travelling with Serena, voiced by Haven Paschal, Clement, voiced by Michael Lissio Jr., and his little sister Bonnie, voiced by Alison Lee Rosenfeld. They meet Princess Diancie, voiced by Caitlin Glass. She is a rock Pokemon that kind of looks like a a cross between a diamond, a boulder, and a bowling pin. And her people need a special diamond to survive. Only she can replace it, though, and it is dying. And she doesn't have the power in her. So she's going to find a legendary Pokemon who, for some reason, is going to be able to help her out with that. But at the same time, all of these different thieves are out to kidnap her because of her ability to create diamonds. I spoke too soon when I said the last one had... A thin plot. This one has an even thinner plot. Uh, they meet Diancie. They fight a scary Pokemon. That's it. There's some okay stuff where they hang out at the top, but the competing faction stuff is repetitive. It's not interesting. It devolves into a long, monotonous fight. I'm not sure why the special Pokemon can give this power. It seems kind of inefficient for a whole community to be built around a diamond that they need to survive, but they don't have the power to actually make this diamond until unless they go out and find this incredibly rare Pokemon. Seems a bit weird. But this is a nothing story. I'm in the home stretch, at least. Pokemon the movie Hooper and the Clash of Ages. Ash, Serena, Claremont, and Bonnie are back. They're in the desert. They meet Hooper. He's a Pokemon who used to be really powerful and giant a hundred years ago. There's some nonsense about an anger shadow that infected Hooper and caused him to go crazy and turn into a to, turn into an angry big shadow Hooper. Well, a hundred years ago, some guy sealed the angry shadow part of him in a bottle. So Hooper's just hanging out, being fun now. But then the bottle gets opened again, and so angry Shadow Hooper comes out of the bottle, and normal happy good time Hooper's got to help them defeat angry giant Shadow Hooper. This is mind-numbing. There is no plot at all. They meet Hooper, Team Rocket uncorks the bottle, and then it's just a 40-minute fight. The gimmick here is that Hooper can open teleports into other places. So... Both Small Hooper and Giant Angry Shadow Hooper bring in armies of legendary Pokemons through these teleports. So both Small Hooper and Shadow Hooper start bringing in these armies of legendary Pokemons. And basically all, almost all of the legendary Pokemons from the previous movie are like brought in to fight each other in this giant 40 minute fight. If you're someone who cares about that, that's probably pretty cool. 
I zoned out immediately. I just sat there twiddling my thumbs for 40 minutes while just the, the movie went nowhere. The finale is the entire second half. It is just that fight. Probably a little more than the second half. Probably more than half. It just feels endless. Hooper is an irritating prankster as a little guy and a giant boastful idiot as an angry shadow. This is by far and away the absolute worst of all of these movies. Next up, the last movie in the original continuity. Pokemon the movie, Volcanion and the Mechanical Marble. Ash, Serena, Claremont and Bonnie are visiting the Azoth Kingdom. It's basically this steampunk kingdom that was... In, that was run by this inventor from hundreds of years ago named Nicola. He created a Pokemon named Magiana, uh, who is just a robot. I don't know why they insist on calling Magiana a Pokemon. Magiana is a robot. Yeah. Yeah, the thing on Bulbapedia says artificial Pokemon. So, like, is it because it's sentient? Well, it's, it has independent life, I guess. There are... There are some bad administrators running the kingdom now. They're trying to capture Magiana so that they can harness its power, and Ash and the gang get caught up in the defense of Magiana, along with Volcanion, voiced by Mike Pollock. He hates humans. He had bad experiences with humans in the past, so he kind of resents Ash and the team tagging along, but he has also kind of been handcuffed to Ash by accident with, like, an energy... Uh, tether so he is forced to drag them along to a special plateau where all of the pokemon that have been mistreated by humans hang out with each other up there away from the world this is not necessarily the best of these but it is the most interesting it tries to reckon with the pokemon human relationship it kind of yeah yeah it kind of glosses over the forcing everyone to fight each other thing and more focuses on you know, just basic animal abuse. But there's some genuine emotional pathos with all of these Pokemon here that are hurt by humans and are really skittish of Ash and the gang as a result. The villains are just monstrous. They are the most irredeemable, cruel, awful people to have ever been in any of these Pokemon movies. It's wrestling with the series' blind spots. And it's toothless, but I do appreciate it. It wimps out yeah. on a much more suitable, melancholic finale that would actually have had some pretty gut punch uh, emotional beats, but they they pull out at the last minute. They don't go all the way. It would have required killing off a character that they just don't have the appetite to do. Yeah, they in none of these do they have the willpower. Oh, they've done do it in a few. It's just it never had any emotional impact. There's some nice character stuff. Ash, Pikachu, and Volcanion especially get some good stuff. The fact that Ash is this little, like, he loves Pokemon, and he, he all of Pokemon are his friends, and he's he's literally tethered to this Pokemon that hates people. He can't yeah. get more than, like, ten feet away from him before the tether starts dragging him back. That's pretty fun. You've got Pollock. He gives a very good voice performance as Volcanion. It could stand to be tightened a little, made a little bit shorter, but the steampunk design of the kingdom is pretty fun. Uh, it did raise a question that I'm going to get into in more detail when we do the deep dive, which is what is a Pokemon? But we'll we'll save yeah. that for then. This is operating on a higher level than every other Pokemon movie so far. That's not saying much, but thank God. Next, of course, I watched I Choose You, but after that I watched 
the final movie in my Pokemon marathon, because it's the last movie that meets all the requirements to be added to the list at this point. Pokemon the movie, The Power of Us. This one is the only one of these movies not directed by Kunihiko Yuyama. It is instead directed by Tetsuo Yajima. As I mentioned, it is continuing the I Choose You continuity, not the original continuity. And we centre around Fuller City. Ash is here to, for this big festival that's happening. But you get a whole bunch of other characters as well that you sort of follow. You have a Pokemon-hating old woman named Harriet, voiced by Catherine Cahill. You have the mayor's daughter, Margot, voiced by Erica Schroeder. You have a lying uncle named Callahan. He's the lying uncle of Margot, voiced by Billy Bob Thompson. You have a nervous scientist named Torrin, voiced by Eddie Lee. And you have a girl, maybe a little bit older than Ash, named Risa, voiced by Haven Pascal. She's there because her brother is... Uh, injured and can't go himself and so she's there to catch a pokemon for him all of these independent stories start to intertwine as the movie continues and a threat looms that causes problems for the city as a whole this continues the positive streak that the reboot started it's much more complex mature storytelling than any of these movies have been before the continuity reboot there are themes and everything uh Everybody in this movie is sort of hiding from fear and from failure, hiding things from themselves, from the people around them. And it's about overcoming that. That's what this whole movie is. The story has the structure of a spider web. It's all of these different things that initially seem unconnected, but ultimately you realize as the movie continues and they all start to intersect, form this tapestry of what the movie is actually talking about. It's intricate by the standards of a Pokemon movie. And, like Pulp Fiction. Yeah, no. It doubles down on story and character. The fights are driven by them. Story and character, not the other way around. It has a great finale that brings in all of the different threads here. It looks great. This is just a much higher level of storytelling. They're more ambitious here and it mm. pays off. Uh, it's available for streaming on Netflix if anyone is interested. That one is. In any case, that's me done for the week. What about you guys? What have you been watching? John watched a couple of movies that I didn't watch, so John's just going to go through those first. Yes, I'm first going to start off with a Christmas movie because I felt, you know, in the spirit of the season ever since December began. So I watched Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey. It's about an imaginary world coming to life in this holiday tale of an eccentric toy maker, his adventurous granddaughter, and a magical invention which has the power to change their lives forever. Or, more specifically, in the vibrant town of Cobbleton, the legendary toy maker Geronicus Jangle, Forrest Whitaker, sort of is... He's got this recipe for an actual, like, magic toy that has sentience, that has emotion that has thoughts of its own and all of this stuff so he thinks oh i'm gonna be rich and everything and he runs afoul of this new toy that he's created because this toy is so egotistical that it wants to be the only one of it ever period so it convinces geronicus's apprentice who grows into being keegan michael key to betray geronicus and steal the book of blueprints that he has so years later when geronicus ages into being forest whitaker he's burnt out his wife died in the interim his 
relationship with his daughter has completely fizzled out, and he's just depressed. His toy store, which used to be this place where everyone goes to to have fun and everything, has turned into a pawnbroker. He's he's lost the magic. He's lost the verve that he used to have. So his granddaughter comes to visit, and she has all of the passion and energy that Jeronicus once had. So she's got this inventor mind in her. She can do the maths. She can do the intricate little things that's necessary in this world. And that brings them back into conflict with his apprentice, played by, as I said before, Keegan-Michael Key. This is a fantastic little musical that has just a bunch of style to it. Everything is steampunky, and all of the costumes are sort of a mix between steampunk and, like, African patterns. And it's really interesting. This is a predominantly African-American cast or and black cast. And it just exudes energy and passion. All of the acting is pretty great for what this movie is trying to be. Which is, it's trying to be a kid's musical about Christmas. Uh, but the Christmas thing doesn't really enter into the plot as much. It's more just a way to create a setting and a tone. Keegan-Michael Key is the reason why I watched this movie, because I wanted to see him in a villainous role. And he's actually really cool in this. He gets a musical number in this film, which basically just shows off this character's lack of self-awareness and sort of scummy nature. You've also got an interesting villainous turn by Ricky Martin as the toy, the aforementioned toy that uh, turned on Geronicus, who ends up manipulating Keegan-Michael Key's character into trying to steal this new invention that Geronicus has in his workshop. And it's interesting, because I was watching this with my sister, or she came out halfway into the movie and I had to pause it and explain what was happening, uh, because this movie moves pretty fast. And she said to me, you know, you really shouldn't trust anything that a toy says when it's only 30 minutes old. Like, why are you letting yourself be manipulated by this thing? And I'm like, yeah, I think I think that's a good question. And yeah, I think this was a very interesting movie. Its style is the best thing about it. And some of the music is pretty great as well. The other movie that I watched without Harley is different. It's a horror movie centered around the relationship between a father and a son. It is called The Witch in the Window. When Simon brings his 12-year-old son Finn to rural Vermont to help flip an old farmhouse, they encounter the malicious spirit of Lydia, the previous owner. Now with every repair that they make, she gets stronger. This is a great little slow burn horror film with very subtle horror to it up until the end where there aren't really jump scares there's only one i think in the entire movie it's a lot of that account you see the ghost of this old evil woman like in the distance or in windows it's the very subtle horror that hill house does and haunting of Bly manor does the acting is what the acting in the script is what really helps center this movie and keep it 
you know, stable. You got a fantastic performance from Alex Draper as the father who he just wants to have a relationship with his kid. He wants to be able to teach him how to be a good person and is also trying to toe the line between being a dad and being a friend. And the son, played by Charlie Tacker, is a very interesting child child character because the movie begins with him being told, no, you, you, you've lost your phone privileges and all of this. And slowly over the course of the film, you start to understand that the reason why this is is because he stumbled across footage of someone getting decapitated and this freaked him the hell out and has created tension between him and his mother and the relationship is really the core of this the writing by andy mitten helps you believe that this child this kid finn is on the cusp of becoming a teenager he it's basically the idea of i thought you were on the 13th I thought you were on the 12th side of 13, not the 13th side of 13. Like, he, the father wants to be able to teach his son some lessons before he hits teenager and becomes shitty, and he's afraid that his kid has already become jaded. And a lot of the dialogue is about, yes, the world is a terrible place, but you have to... You have to find ways to make the world better for the people around you. Otherwise, you're just caught in this malaise. And I think it's very good. It's arty. You can tell that there's little budget, but it's it looks fantastic for what they've got. And the final, I'll say 30 minutes, are actually excellent in the way that it's plotted out. Because you get told information in the beginning of the movie that never gets mentioned again up until the end. And it keeps the same level of really good dialogue throughout. So I was very glad I sat down and watched this myself. It's on Shudder. And this is the first full movie that I've watched on Shudder. If the other movies that look interesting are as good as this, I think Shudder is definitely worth it. So, Harley? Yes, so I also watched a Christmas movie, this time withdrawn. It's a Christmas movie that I have a lot of affinity for, and Mm. one I like to watch whenever it gets to be this season. We watched Jingle All The Way. We missed missed the first, like, ten minutes? But that's fine. Yeah, it was on the 7 Plus app as it was broadcasting. Yeah. Jingle All The Way is a 1996 American Christmas family comedy film directed by Brian Levant. It stars Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sinbad as two rival fathers who are trying desperately to get the season's, like, hottest action figure, Turbo Man, uh, because they both forgot to purchase it, you know, weeks before when it came out. This is a bizarrely structured film. It's a it's a family comedy, so it has a lot of the really silly elements of the Christmas season that get emphasized. It's also a satire. Yeah. So, really, the thing most discussed in the film is how ravenous people can get during the Christmas season. It's, it's really a Black Friday film. Yeah, it, it mainly focuses around how desperate some people can be to get that one perfect gift, and how, I'm sure, purposeful shortages can cause people to do some really desperate and dangerous shit. Uh, particularly a lot of the stuff a male man... 
postal worker Myron Labrie, played by Sinbad, ends up doing. <laughs> and it also somehow pivots into being a superhero movie for the last, like, 30 minutes. Like, doesn't doesn't Sinbad's character very almost commit an act of domestic terrorism? Almost. It's well, very yeah. close. Like, he, he claims he's holding a bomb, but he's not entirely sure because... He thinks the odds are pretty high because he's a postal worker in the 90s. Um, and a slight reference to Unabomber of, there. Yeah, there were a lot of bombs being mailed around the place at that time. So, yeah. This is j- just a really fun movie. It also has Phil Hartman in it. As this really sort of, like, asshole neighbor who's kind of perving on Schwarzenegger's wife. Also, this is the one movie where I can see the Terminator knock out a reindeer with one punch. So... Yeah. He doesn't knock the reindeer out. He knocked it out. Really? He knocked it out. Yeah. It pu- he punched it right in the jaw. Granted, it was coming right at him. It did. It had murder uh, in it its eyes. It was a feral thing. It had murder yeah. in its eyes. But yeah, it's a great movie. It gave me flashbacks to when I was trying to pre-order the PS5. Oh, yeah. Like, how insane people can be around it that sort of thing. It hits differently for you now, doesn't it? Now that yeah, you've and- been in the crowd. No... Not the same, but I have been in Black Friday crowds before, and it very consciously makes a point about how crazy that can be. See, this is why I just stay at home and buy things online. Yeah. It's also that thing of be an attentive parent as well. Yeah, pay attention to trends, because that's going to come up around Christmas. We're not saying that you need to get an Excel spreadsheet and... All of that, but like this movie even has scalpers, bootleggers. It's got the whole shebang of basically what yeah. has happened with the PS5, and it's kind of spooky how close like it weirdly, actually is. It, it's like weirdly prescient, mm. uh, including a Dark Souls boss fight. Yes, which is fun. And like most Christmas movies that I really like, that end up being my favorites, it ends with a battle, yes. not a fight. A battle. That's true. Uh, how do you how do you differentiate between the two? A battle battle versus fight is about scope. Yeah. I think a fight is two fathers like shoving each other over in a shopping mall. A battle is two fathers dressed in superhero and supervillain costumes, launching shit at each other and flying through the sky. That's a battle. Yeah, it's 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 like the scope of the epicness, not necessarily how many people take part. Yeah, it's also very emotional. A fight between, say, Batman and a goon who's working for, like, Joker or whatever. That's a fight. Batman versus Solomon Grundy or Superman versus Black Adam. Those are battles because it's big. We also watched an episode of Smallville, because just to let you know, we're kind of prevented from getting much further because the next episode won't work on, on the 7 Plus. Plus app, and we don't skip episodes of things. That's not how we acquit ourselves. What are you talking about? You're talking... You talked a couple of weeks ago about how you just started watching Season 3 of The Crown without having watched the first two seasons. It was already on! No, I don't skip episodes of shows that I'm... In that very really same episode, on. you said that you don't have to watch every episode of a, of stuff like the Tudors or Rome. You're... No, that, but that is yeah, Smallville context. isn't real. Smallville, Smallville didn't happen. Not, Smallville isn't historical fan fiction. I know history. 
nothing is spoiling me on that. Anyway. See, you're not committed to the bit in the same way I am, is all I'm saying. You're not the... Co- you're, yeah. you're pretending that you're a completionist, but you, you let yourself off the hook on a number of different ways. Watch, and also when, the- whenever our parents or our sister are watching TV, we're just going to stay in our rooms and not spend time with them? Anyway. Um, Don't look at me so like we- that. Can we just join? So... Now for a small segment of the podcast, Save Me From Smallville, where we look at the scary shit that happens in the Superman origin story, Smallville. This season has been kind of slow with spooky stuff. Mm. It's had uh, a lot of the four... same stuff that other seasons have had. And Not really like... anything that jumps out at you. Episode 6, however. Uh, it's a body swap episode. But you know how most body swap episodes of stuff are kind of like, ah ha ha, funny, funny, confusion, confusion sort of stuff. Like, you, you're getting sitcoms and shit like that. Uh, Clark gets body swapped with Lionel Luther, Lex's father. Chaos ensues. Lionel, throughout this entire thing, has had a fascination with Martha Kent, Clark's mother. Uh, Lionel in Clark's body sort of, like, perves on her, and, like, has this really weird line read of, I want a hug. <laughs> Send him the video, Harley. Uh, I-, I will, but it's... Just put it in as a clip, and I'll hear it then. Yeah. Clark, what are you doing? Well, I... I just... wanted to tell you how beautiful you look today. Mom. Something is not right. I can see it in your eyes. Is it because of that ringing you heard? I don't know. I need a hug. It's so awkward because Tom Welling actually does really well in uh, getting the intonation of the voice of the actor who plays Lionel. Absolutely. Uh, He has a very specific way of delivering the lines that, you know, it works very, very well. Uh, But when he... When Martha gives... Clark, who's actually Lionel, a hug, it triggers bursts of his heat vision power after he sniffs her hair. Uh, heat vision, if we cast our minds back to season 2, episode 2, when we discuss that, one of the main triggers for the heat vision is getting a boner, or getting sexually aroused. Um, yeah. He tries to pull the same shit with Chloe, as well, which is, like, really, gives me really creepy Keith Raniere vibes. To be completely honest, uh, him being the cult leader of Nexium, uh, it's just really uncomfortable, the stuff so, that Lionel does in Clark's body. Basically, Lionel is going around just destroying his life in all of the ways that Clark cannot piece back together. Yeah, there's some stuff that's going to take a while to fix. Uh, but also the continued presence of Alice and Mac. How much longer do you guys have to watch this? Because weren't we already, weren't we talking at the start of this? There was some time limit that they were going to be removed from the service. See, that's interesting because we checked the time- if the episode after the next one worked. Worked fine. All of the episodes the, after that. The time limit fine. is the time limit is inconsistent. Yeah. So it could it could go away or it could get extended. It's really unclear. Yeah. As of this point, what's actually going See, to happen? See, I can't. I can't manage that either. I've got to know. Yeah. I've got to know. I can't just, you know, sort of. That's why I got to buy the discs. I can't just sort of just 
wing it and hope that it's available by the time I get to it on the list. We're going to work out a way to be able to take our time with it pretty soon. Um, so, yeah. So that was Save Me From Smallville. And, and now that going... segment, that all of that, that episode gave me chills, honestly. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, I we had to so watch it in two sittings because yeah. he just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. And it's not because the body swap acting was bad. Far from it. The body swap acting was excellent. It was too I was good. sitting there saying, Tom Welling, why are you so good at this? Why are you so good at playing bad guys? You're too good at playing bad guys. I can't watch the rest of this episode yet because that whole segment with Martha just freaked me the hell out. Yeah. So now we're going to play the trailer to Pokemon I Choose You. So you're the last of the four young ones starting out on their journeys today. Being a second late for a train or even a Pokemon can be life-changing. Does that mean I go on my journey without a Pokemon? Well, there is another. This Pokemon is called Pikachu. Hi, Pikachu. My name's Ash Ketchum. You and I are going to be best friends. Someday we'll both meet that Pokemon. Pikachu! The legend says the Rainbow Wing will guide you. We've got to get moving and find Ho-Oh! You want to come along with us? You're too soft. Remember, might makes right. And that's it. Let's go, Pikachu! What's way out there? know until you go there. And as long as my buddy's with me, I can go anywhere. That was the trailer for Pokemon I Choose You. It is a children's anime fantasy adventure film directed by Kunihiko Yuyama, and it is based on the long-running anime series Pokemon, which is in turn based on the video game franchise of the same name. This film is the beginning of a continuity reboot for the Pokemon movies, resetting the story of Pokemon trainer Ash Ketchum to the very beginning, while the anime series continues in the original continuity. Set in a fantasy world where intelligent, super-powered creatures called Pokemon live alongside humans, the film begins on Ash's 10th birthday. Ash is voiced by Sarah Nagachenny. This means he is now old enough to claim his own Pokemon and begin travelling the land, battling other Pokemon for supremacy, in what the film strenuously insists are friendly challenges and not the fantasy equivalent of a dogfight. He oversleeps, however, and by the time he arrives to retrieve his new friend slash captive, only one is left, the headstrong Pikachu, voiced by Akue Otani, a lightning Pokemon, who initially resents Ash but quickly grows to like him. 
As the pair sets out on their journey, they begin travelling with a couple of other roaming preteens, a girl named Verity, voiced by Susie Myers, and a boy in a bow tie named Sorrel, voiced by David Oliver Nelson. The group eventually begins a cross-country trek to the mountains after Ash and Pikachu are summoned by the legendary flying Pokemon Ho-Oh, who calls upon those with pure hearts to meet him and hang out a bit. Along the way, however, the group must contend with the cruel Pokemon trainer Cross, voiced by Billy Bob Thompson, who treats Pokemon like dirt and is obsessed with capturing the most powerful Pokemon in the land, Ho-Oh himself. So, before we start off here, why don't we all go around and say what we all thought of this movie in 30 seconds. Now, what I have been told by someone who listens to the podcast is that we are frequently overstretching our 30 seconds and are in fact starting to repeat ourselves later on in the podcast by going in detail into stuff at the top that we will then unpack later on. So I thought it would be fun if we actually set a timer. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought it would be extra fun if I didn't tell you we were going to do this first. (laughs) See, we do take suggestions. So because of stuff we do on the back end with the editing, if you actually look at the timestamps for this It might not actually read as 30 seconds because of some of the truncating silences stuff we do in Audacity, but I am confirming, just to be totally fair, for the twins here. All right, Jean, you ready? Three, two, one. I thought that this was pretty good. It has more character-based and character-driven parts in it. The animation is pretty great in comparison to, I'm sure, the movies that you saw I thought the ending was kind of lame that Ash didn't stay dead. Ooh, spoiler alert. And I'm confused as to why he started fighting with Ho-Oh at the end. That is 30 seconds. Yep, it is. Alright, Harley, what about you? 3, 2, 1. Well, as you as a Pokemon master, Pokemon trainer, however you want to call it, I had a good time with this. I have a lot of nostalgia for a lot of the really big moments in the film that are recreations of events from the original series. There's Pikachu and Ash's first meeting, there's the bit with all the Pidgeys, and there's meeting Charmander, and there's also uh, Goodbye Butterfree, which is a real gut punch um, if you have the history. Sorry, Harley. It'll have to wait. I'm liking this. Um, Alright, me. Three, two, one. I was holding out hope. I was holding out hope. This was the last time. that The fact that there was a continuity reboot, that was what I was hoping was going to be the kicker here. And lo and behold, a genuinely good one. 21st times the charm. There's a focus on character and emotion instead of mindless fighting. And damn it, I might have to keep watching these. In the future. Yeah. Way to go, Lawson. Yeah. Uh, so, why don't we start out with our histories with the franchise? That's probably a good place to start. We all have, I think, different backgrounds with it. I'll start us off and say that, as has probably been pretty obvious from my discussions in the What We've Been Watching segments, I am the closest thing to a newbie that we have among us here. I was not deep into Pokemon. I watched the anime as a child. I went and saw the first film in cinemas. My mother took me along to see it and 
God bless her for that, because that must have been torturous. But I have never played one of the video games. Still haven't. I'll get around to it eventually. We don't go into video games on the podcast, but I have a video game list as well that I'm currently in 2017 for. So when when those newest Pokemon Switch games, Shield and whatever, Sword and Shield come up at the end of 2019, I will I will play it then. But Do you have a Switch? I No, but I'll get one eventually. <laughs> I still have never played one of the Pokemon games, but I was kind of into it as a kid. As I said, I watched the anime series. But do you remember the the book club pamphlets that you would get at school where you would get to order away and get stuff delivered? Scholastic book club. I remember mm. with the with the book fairs, it was all... Everyone was less interested in books. They were more interested in the fun little stationary things like erasers and shit the toys and little knickknacks that came along with it well on the back of one of those book club things uh, uh, perhaps you will recall that they would occasionally have subscriptions that you could get little clubs that you could join and you would you would have a monthly subscription to one of these little clubs and i had a monthly subscription to the pokemon club and so every month i would get a pokemon figurine and a novelization of some of the anime shows just little 100 page kids chapter books and that was i i ended up with maybe like 25 of those by the end of it but that was about as deep into it as i got was was reading those i never got beyond brock and misty in that original run that by the time they left i had already left but i was into it to a certain degree. I recall at one point, as as like an eight-year-old, reading aloud one of those Pokemon books to my then 90-year-old grandmother, and I suspect she must have just turned her hearing aids off. <laughs> That's what I would have done. All this gibberish. Didn't live through two world wars, so she could hear me rant right about Pikachu. <laughs> but outside of Detective Pikachu last year, I haven't had any real exposure to Pokemon since I was maybe eight or nine, and that subscription ended. What about you, Jean? Because you're sort of the next rung up. You're you're not as into it as Harley, but more into it than me. Yeah, so my relationship with Pokemon, again, the animated show, watched it a lot as a kid, was more into Yu-Gi-Oh! But, you know, that's a whole other kettle of fish. What about Digimon? We like Digimon as well, yeah. Digimon seemed like one of those, like, desperate like the hooly doolies to pokemon's the wiggles like what about us guys we can do this too well digimon had its own sort of like aesthetic concerns and Mm. and functions because little digimon things you'd carry with you yeah being a rather different sort of setup yeah so my relationship with pokemon is the tv show watching harley play the games in high school there, in one of the Pokemon games, there was this thing where if you connected the games, it was this little dungeon thing? Yeah, you could basically... It's basically you and all the other players go underground, and you create yourself an underground base, that's all And you thing. look for, like, fossils and shit? Look for fossils, like, spring traps, yeah. that sort of thing? So basically, a lot of high school, because we would spend... The second longer lunch time period in the in the library because nerds. 
a lot of the time would be spent either playing Uno or watching people do that. So that was a whole thing. I did play Pokemon Pearl, which is the one with Palkia. The space dragon. Yeah. And John was a filthy, stinking hacker. Yes, I used... You used cheats. I used cheats because I figure if I'm having... If I want to have fun, why should I kowtow to people's rules? So I used cheats. I called my Infernate Lucifer because I was an edgy child. And I used a shitload of rare candies and Master Balls because I didn't really care about the strategy of Pokemon. Also, I've been watching Harley play the Pokemon games for ages. I've seen him destabilize countless Pokemon communities within the narratives and completely depose the rightful winners by just being this emotionless, cold machine of death and destruction. Which, I have to say, because Harley played uh, the most recent one, a sword, because our mate Jacob, who's hopefully listening, fingers crossed, got shield, uh, watching Harley play that and watching his character completely no-sell all of the high-tension, high-emotion scenes was hilarious. We ended up figuring... Oh, no, this character is an abject psychopath who just lets these people vent to them because why not? Because the facial expression doesn't change. So I have experience with Pokemon. I love Pokemon. My favorite is Psyduck. And the second... Who's the perpetually confused duck who holds his, holds his head a lot. Yeah. One, because he's Psyduck. He's adorable. And I've got... Like two Psyduck behind me. Uh, and also Quagsa, who is the manatee Pokemon, I'm pretty sure. Nope. No? No, he's basically this big sort of like water Pokemon... Salamander looking thing. Salamander thing really sort of like... It doesn't look very bright. It's thick in the head, and it kind of... It like, it bangs its head against boats because boats go when past it's drifting it. Along. And it doesn't see them as a threat, so the boat just runs into it and it's like... Mm. And it just, it's its the sort of let, live and let live Pokemon, turn the other cheek Pokemon, which I like. I like how adorable they are, and I like interrogating the politics behind the different evil teams. Because I think that's fascinating. Right, so my history of Pokemon started actually with the Sinnoh region, Diamond and Pearl. Uh, of course I watched the TV show like John suggested. I have a lot of nostalgia for that. But my real passion started when I started playing the games. Mm. Now, I started in the Sinnoh region. I always use a grass starter Pokemon because, you know, the first few gyms are usually like rock and water and that sort of thing. So you get type advantage. So I get type advantage. I'm I'm pretty good at tracking the different rock, paper, scissors nature of Pokemon battles. Like, super effective stuff, what's not effective, what is weak against stuff, that sort of thing. So much so that for every uh, future generation, I I've got at least one game from each region. Not Black and White 2, Black or White 2, or Ultra Sun or Ultra Moon, because those just seem like... Because you've got the base versions of those. No, those are sequels. Oh, much. yeah? And I really can't be bothered with those, especially since they bring in some just extra bullshit. But like John said, the way I play Pokemon is methodical. Mm. 
whenever a new one comes out, it's like John Wick going down to his basement and busting out all his gear. <laughs> Holly Lewis. We come for you. So basically, the political structure in the Pokemon world is that gym leaders are basically like feudal lords that operate underneath the Elite Four, and then the champion. I have destabilized governments in about six regions, claiming legendaries along the way. Basically putting gods into balls, and making them your pets. And you haven't used the single Master Ball. I try not to, because, you know, I want to play the game. Yeah. Not just cheat my way through it, or take the easy route. I have a lot of fun with it, actually. I do particularly like going back to, like, the old Fire Red and Leaf Green, and then routinely destroying Brock, because he's the first gym leader in that, and he's trash. You're trash, Brock. As are most of the first gym leaders. No, I don't know, I just have a lot of fun with it. It's a fairly simple RPG. It's not too complex. It's just a fun, easy time. It can be complex if you do all that EV training nonsense, but uh, I, I just like playing through it, leveling up as much as I can, completing as much of the Pokedex as I give a shit to. And seeing if the stories get better written, which they have, yeah. kind of. It really depends as they go The plot along. isn't why you're there, really. No, you're, you're there to see what new colourful, uh, squishy thing you can capture. Sometimes it's a living... A set of keys, and in other times it's a goo dragon. You, should, you guys should play Nino Kuni on the PS4, PS5. That's basically, it's it's basically Pokemon, but with a story. It's mm. Studio Ghibli was a partner on it, so it has that style. I'll definitely look into it. The world. I want to talk about the world of Pokemon because I think yeah. that the world of Pokemon is horrifying. Sure, that you have all of these children roaming around the place, capturing these sentient animals to force them to fight each other and imprisoning them in small balls. But the movies and the show and the game sort of bend over backwards to make you think that this is some sort of equitable arrangement. The, the games have addressed that somewhat. In Pokemon Black and White, they introduced a team called Team Plasma, which was, a base, was essentially campaigning against... Uh, keeping Pokemon as pets or doing battles with them, and obviously they their whole message was undercut by their big boss, who was actually a dickhead. But it still raised the question in universe, yeah. which was an interesting story to go through. But yes, there's something deeply unethical about this arrangement. Well, the the the. Sp- franchise is pretty clear about the fact that these are intelligent sentient creatures yeah. that they are they are perfectly capable of complex thought of conversations between each other we we know this because when you get telepathic ones they can just have perfectly regular conversations with human beings you have a creature like meowth who will sometimes translate what other pokemon who can't speak english are saying and they are saying complex reason things. They are not animals. They have the cognitive function of human beings, or at least close to it. Some do. So Most do. There are some particularly thick ones. <laughs> so you can't make the argument that, oh, this is just like, you know, dogs and cats and things, yeah. keeping them as pets. 
these are creatures of a higher order than that. And in fact, there do not seem to be any animals in the Pokemon world. All there are is Pokemon. So what I'm getting from that is, there's a Pokemon called Miltank, and it's basically a cow, right? And you get Miltank milk. So from what you're describing as your belief in the sentience and intelligence of Pokemon is that these Miltanks have made somewhat of an accord with farmers that allowed them to milk them. They probably have a contract. <laughs> I don't know. Who am I kidding? These Pokemon don't have a contract. They're unpaid workers. But... Like, if the Pokemon wanted to, they could pretty easily depose humankind. Pretty handedly. They have special abilities. They have special powers. They shoot fire out their bloody yeah. faces. Some of them can literally leech away your life essence chuck you into alternate dimensions there is an alter like they introduced the concept of the ultra beasts in sun and moon which are basically these parallel dimension multiversal creatures extraterrestrial things that exist in this sort of like bleed space one of them's this really buff mosquito and that could easily kill you easily in multitudes of ways all right, then how do we define a Pokemon? Because we get a lot of wishy-washy stuff over the course of this series about what a Pokemon is. Because if we're talking about Pokemon as being these creatures that exist in this world naturally, then when Dioxus, Deoxys or whatever his name is, arrives from space, he ain't a Pokemon. No, he's not. He's, he's an, an alien. He's an alien. He's an alien. And Megiana is not a Pokemon. It's a robot. She's a robot. Well... The way I look at it is, put it this way, Pokemon are non-humanoid, no, non-humans, who are capable of sapient thought, but also have some sort of, some form of life essence to them. They have souls, so, they've got spirit. Magina, Magina is mechanical in nature, but has a sort of soul, wouldn't you say? Oh, we're uh, really has- stretching here, we're really stretching here. Okay, I'm just asking a question, Lawson. Does Magina the Terminator have could be a Pokemon by that? <laughs> does Does Magina have independent thought and action? Well, yeah, but you're describing artificial intelligence there. Well, yeah, then I suppose that artificial intelligence also apply. Well, it's it's the equivalent of us saying that an artificial intelligence is an animal, or an alien is an animal. So the Bicentennial Man is a Pokemon. Yes. One of the other disturbing things is that all of these children are roaming the countryside, sicking these animals on each other. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. Unsupervised. Like the beginning of this, the beginning of this movie says that so you're ten years old. If you're ready to go on your Pokemon adventure, you can set an alarm on your clock. Like I, I, I expect you to be able to wake yourself up of a morning. It's like you're just letting him go. As you just said, he's ten. No one who's ten makes smart decisions. Mm. Like, in certain regions, it's different. You get a different age for your starting character, but... Yeah, but it's never, like, 20. No, of course not, because it's a children's game. So you have Kanto, uh, Law and Order, Kanto edition, where it's the detectives who are forced to investigate all of the horrendous crimes that happen to these unattended children as they roam the countryside, them falling off cliffs, them being preyed upon by serial killers. Or the crimes that they themselves commit. Them yeah. being kidnapped by drowsies, which that's a thing canonically that they do. Yeah. Those fat-looking elephant men. There are certain Pokemon that snatch children. Yeah, 
They yeah. And take them away. Th- those those oh god, what are those balloon Pokemon who they drift? Who's that Pokemon? Drifloon. They drift in near groups of children. A child grabs it, then it just floats away. It floats away with the kid. Well, then you've got then you've got Team Rocket and all of the other different teams yeah. that are basically terrorist organizations operating with impunity. Like, don't let James and Jesse fool you. They're not real Team Rocket. Team Rocket are like the mafia. You've got all of these people wandering around. I mean, I saw those movies where the Iron Mask Marauder from Team Rocket comes in and he builds this giant kaiju Pokemon out of scrap and it starts tearing things to pieces. That's a domestic terrorist Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Pretty much every single evil team you come up against, barring some of the ones later into the franchise like Team Yell and Team Skull, most of them are terrorists. Team Galactic is led by Cyrus, who is a complete nihilist, who just wants to revert everything back to zero. You've got Team Magma and Aqua, who want to end the world in their particular idiom, and all of these other organizations are just simply evil. Yes, so what I'm saying is that beneath this happy exterior, this is actually a horrifying hellscape of a reality that is in mm. being existent, that we're being presented with. All of these children are roaming the countryside. They've all got absentee parents who are just happy with them roaming about the place in gangs, you know, sicking sentient animals on each other. You've got these terrorists roaming around with impunity. There's apparently one police officer in the entire planet. Uh, Which I have a theory about, by the way. So it really is kind of a, a horrifying... I, have you seen the theory that uh, that Pokemon is actually our Earth after a post-apocalyptic? I have indeed heard that theory. And there's stuff in, like, the Kanto region games. Like, one of the particular islands indicates that, one, there is a military, or was a military because of Lieutenant Surge, and that some sort of giant war or cataclysm has occurred. Okay, so... And there's also the fact that there are legendary Pokemon who have the power over elements. Fire, wind, ice. Garudon. Garudon can create, is basically an earthquake machine. You've got Pokemon who can control time. Literally darkness and literally light. Space. Like, Palkia can... It can be like the Xenomorphs in Alien Covenant and Prometheus, that they are a... A biological weapon that has gotten out of hand. <laughs> and, and, and you've also got, like, the philosophical problem of Mewtwo, and the fact that he isn't a natural-born Pokémon. All the various artificial Pokémon. The unknown, for God's sake. The unknown. That whole thing you were talking about a week ago, with the unknown trying to give this kid what, it, what she wants, like, that's horrific. The unknown for those uninitiated are essentially the alphabet. <laughs> the living, a living alphabet. Yeah. Let's get into this movie, yeah. this actual movie, the actual story here. Where is Ash's dad? That's my first question. Where is his dad? My theory is that he's Bonji. I reckon it's Professor Oak. He he hangs out with Ash's mum a lot, quite a bit, and he's like real happy to sort of shuttle him off on his cross country journey. Okay, I'm not saying. I don't think I don't think Oak is his father, but I do believe he is Ash's mom's daddy. <laughs> the there's all those other theories that that Mister Mime that 
Ash's mother keeps as her slave is Ash's father. Oh, that's much worse. That explains his physical prowess by the the fact that he can run and jump with the best of them. He seems to be able to do stuff he would seemingly physically capable of doing. He also doesn't take fall damage, which is wild to me. My theory is that Ash's Ash's dad is Bonji, the the old fella at the end of this movie. What if Giovanni's his dad? What if him and Gary are brothers? Now you're just naming random people in the Pokemon universe with no way to connect them or build a cognizant theory whatsoever. Well, that's because it's so such a obscure question. But but anyway, you raised it. <laughs> but I think Let's... it's important to mention that he he doesn't really have a parental figure. The closest he's got is again Professor Oak, who we have just established is probably banging Ash's mum. <laughs> probably, yeah. John. He absolutely is banging Ash's mum. His mother just doesn't care, does she? She just shuttles him off. It's a pilgrimage. It's like it's like people sending people out on a mission. It's it's that kind of thing. It's a rite of passage for people. It's a cultural thing, it seems. Like like this is something you do. It's it's like how yeah. Mormons go on missions to Africa or to like poorly developed places. It's it's that kind of thing. It's their culture. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, everyone is sort of encouraging to Ash, aren't they? They're, they're sort of very much, oh, yeah, you can be a Pokemon trainer, you can do this. See, that's what bugs me, too. Every time in this movie, Ash says, I'm going to be the best Pokemon trainer ever. I'm going to be the Pokemon master. And everyone says, oh, that's adorable. You, you do that, Ash. But when I say that, everyone's like, sir, this is a pet store. Sir, we're going to have to ask you to leave. Sir... The mouse does not conduct electricity. <laughs> it's like, but, but, go Pikachu! And you just throw this mouse that you've painted yellow. Well, let's talk about Pikachu, because I think Pikachu is pretty a, a vital part of this Absolutely. whole construction in terms of the anime and the movies. Very much the emotional core. Yeah, Pikachu gives Pokemon an actual character, a representative of the species, through which we can understand them a little bit more and their relationship with humans. We don't actually see very many Pokemon that are given as much fleshing out as Pikachu. Even Ash's regular cadre of Pokemon that he'll pull out every now and again. They don't get as much character time with as Pikachu does. And I think that's kind of essential to us understanding Pokemon and looking at them in a more complicated exactly. way. He's like a litmus test for... The emotional depth that a Pokemon can have. Yeah. That Pikachu won't get in his Pokeball. That he will just hang out and that he is resentful of Ash to begin with. I like yeah. that. Mm. I like that Pikachu is sort of just like trolling him the whole time. I love the shot of Ash dragging him by yeah. a collar and him just sort of sliding along the ground up the hill. Because <laughs> he's just like, I'm not moving. I'm not doing it. You can't make me. Because it kind of... I mean, and it is kind of the movies and the series taking the cheap way out, isn't it? That through this original bit with Pikachu resisting Ash, we get Pikachu coming around and deciding that he likes his life of servitude <laughs> is what gives the series and the movies permission in the future to just go with the concept, right? That we 
we grab these Pokemon and they like it, you know? I mean, it really is. It lets it off the hook. They, they, they tackle that whole idea right at the very start. Pikachu decides that he actually likes being with the humans. And then that's it. We don't need to address it again. How he comes to the conclusion of enjoying his, like you said, life of servitude. Ash attempts to catch a Pidgey or whatever, and that doesn't work because he's an idiot and doesn't understand how the battling works. You're meant to initiate the battle first, so it's fair on the Pokemon. Also, when he fails, he throws a rock at it to try and brain it so that he can just pick it up and carry it. (laughs) And I think that was hilarious. Because you got to imagine, if you're out... That's just funny. You you talked about... You talked about him last week, John. You described him as a little psycho. And I think that's actually a really good description of Ash. He's... He 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 is operating at this. Now that I think about it in that capacity, he is operating at this like a hundred and ten percent all the yeah, time. I know, right? I didn't even connect those dots. That he just starts throwing rocks at us. and like and and obviously that pisses off the uh, the Pidgey. It hits the Pidgey's response is basically. That's not how this works. Those are fight You don't actions. get involved in the fight. Uh, so they get attacked by a huge... A swarm. You could call it a swarm, because they all act as of one mind, it looks like. Nearly kill both Ash and Pikachu. And then, over the course of that attack, Ash saves Pikachu's life. And, you know, as Pikachu looks like it's dying, Ash begs it to go into the Pokeball. But... Pikachu refuses, does, does this huge lightning attack, and like, saves them shoots, both. Shoots up, like, 13 levels for taking out all of those birds. I'm just imagining the smoking carcasses just falling out of the sky around them. No, they fly away. Ah. I, and you know, it's it's like, let's, we should just talk a little bit about Pikachu and Ash to start off with, because I think there's some stuff to unpack there, that I really do think that Pikachu is sort of... His function as a character is to let the writers off the mm. hook. Because even after that, he, he gets to display this independence, you know? He doesn't want to evolve when it comes time to evolve. He wants to stay as Pikachu. Yeah. He doesn't go in the Pokeball. He insists on being, you know, a part of the team. He insists on making his own decisions, which he will frequently do. And... Through giving this one character that kind of agency, it lets them take away the agency of all of the other characters and have us not question it. Except for the legendaries. Sure. Well, really, any, all of the ones that haven't actually been captured by humans. Yeah. I think it's funny how when they go and they try to catch the Caterpie, I think that's funny too. How it misses and the Caterpie's like, Sorry, what? And just looks at them. Zinger! Oh, what, what, oh, what's that uh, big pincy boy? Who's that Pokemon? Pincer. Pincer. They, they web him up and then leave. And he just walks back into the forest like, I'm gonna kill them. I'm going to kill They've them. got some great creative names for these Pokemon, don't they? Pincer. Cypher. Or was it, is it the, is it, the, is it? Describe it, and I'll probably be able to name it. It's for you. the one that's snake, but spelled backwards. Who's that Pokemon? 
Ekans. Ekans. And Abrock. (laughs) Abrock, which is Cobra. Real clever guys. Yeah. But, I mean, I like how more of the other generations of Pokemon are in this. Like, in these little interstitial things, like, you see them. You see... You see... Pikachu and Ash almost get eaten by a Gyarados when they fall into the water. So, like, the the relationship between Pikachu and Ash really is the crux of this film. Yeah. At one point, this Pokemon called Marshadow basically puts Ash into this dream state where we see a world without Pokemon. Yeah. And what that would look like for a character like Ash. It looks like it's inches away from being Death Note. Well, it's it's basically just the real world, yeah. Yeah. and I mean this. I I like the level of sort of bizarre ambiguity that this creates for Pokemon as a series. Are we all the hallucination of a kid from the world of Pokemon, or is Pokemon the world just a hallucination of this extremely troubled kid in our world? Yeah, I think that's fair enough. I really can't like ever since you. Ever since last week, Sean Wing, you called him a little psycho. <laughs> like, I, I can't help but analyse just how over-the-top all of his behaviour is. Like, he's always... It's always at 11, like, the whole time, and the way that he does everything. It's, it's like, sometimes I compare characters or i'm a dog person so i like to yeah. i like i sometimes i think of personality types in terms of dogs and for him he's he's just like a boxer dog he's like sort of sweet but stupid and clumsy and just sort of blunders around the yeah. place like knocking things over and the only reason why he isn't classified as having an evil heart is because he doesn't understand the concept of good and evil he can't conceive. He can't of it. conceive of it, even if he performs actions that are evil. Because he can't conceive of it being evil, it so- short circuits the entire deal. Well, the thing is, we also see before he gets shunted into that dream by Marshadow, his response to losing a battle against Cross, and he gets like really shitty, shitty. Yeah, even to Pikachu, it, like it's so depth. I think I've settled upon it. He has the vocabulary and the body of a 10-year-old, but he has the behavior of a 5-year-old. And he's got the leaps of a superhero. He can jump. Let's talk a bit about some of the other characters. We get Sorel, the bowtie kid. He's training to become a doctor. He seems utterly disinterested in Pokemon battles. Oh, that was the horrifying part, was like the flashback. Mm. Yeah. Pokemon shielding him from the winter. It made me think... Is there a Literally situation freezing in Pokemon to death. where someone had to cut open an Obama snow in order to survive in a blizzard? <laughs> it's going to be kind of cold inside the Obama snow, John. See, I would, I would even more than a lot of series, I would love to see like different genres yeah. spin-offs of. Can you imagine a version of the Grey, but it's in Pokemon? Yeah, or or just like a horror movie, but in but instead of it being like a monster, it's a Pokemon it's that's a gone haunter. rogue or a Gengar. Or as I said, like you know the the detective, police detective, serial, or or all of this stuff that it's just such a bizarre universe. To place those kind yeah. of genre st- structures on them it's would like be Star so Wars. fascinating. It's like, yeah. You did get a lot of that sort of stuff in Detective Pikachu. Where it's a little bit more of an adult take on that world. Oh, I can believe that world so much oh, more yeah. than I can believe this one, though. Like, that's a 
That's such a different world from the one that's being depicted in the anime. There's Sorel, obviously, then there's Verity, mm-hmm. who has mummy issues. And neither of their stories get resolved. Yeah. Her, her Pokemon, the little penguin thing, is Piplop. Piplop. And her mother's Pokemon is an Emporion. Which is the fully evolved form. So it seems like she is so desperate for her mother's affection that the Pokemon she chose is the unevolved version of her mother's. Or it, or it might be the Emporion's child. Maybe. I don't know why we're not having Misty and Brock back here. I think Sorel and Verity are more interesting, and they have an interesting place within Ash's arc here. We're rebooting the continuity, though. You could just give those backstories to Misty and Brock. Let's just put it this way. I look at this story as a sort of like an alternate universe sort of thing. For example, what would happen in the original series if all of these other sorts of Pokemon also existed? If, like, one... Or if a couple of things shifted. If the element dogs existed at the same time as Ho-Oh. In Kanto. Yeah. Perhaps he could have come across Misty, but didn't this time. Mm. He Perhaps he yeah. could have come across Brock, but didn't this time. It's... Because a lot of the significant events still occur. There's the all the stuff with Pikachu at the beginning. There's meeting Charmander. Mm. Then there's Goodbye Butterfree. All those stuff stay the same. But in a different way. But stuff around is just different. These are flashpoints for the universal concept of Ash Ketchum. Yeah. Sure. And and there is more of a narrative structure here to, to this than all of those other Pokemon movies. That's why I'm liking it more. I'm liking the focus on character more. I'm liking the focus on emotions more. I like that the, the Ash and the Pikachu part... I like the absolutely heartbreaking Charmander yeah. arc. That that stuff just When is... I saw Cross kick Ch- Charmander, I was like, yo, dude, what the hell? Okay, so that's like broad strokes what happens with the Charmander stuff in the TV show. Mm. Well, this is the, the point that the movie is making, and this is all part of playing into that point, which is that the movie is really about the relationship between humans and Pokemon. And I'm liking that as well. As much as I think it sort of lets itself off the hook, I am liking the interrogation of this world and what this partnership between humans and Pokemon means. And that is what Cross represents. He represents, you know, people who abuse Pokemon, people who are, you know, the opposite of Ash. Callous on purpose. Yeah, Mm. like, when we were watching it, I was talking to John, and... There is a lot that you, that runs parallel with the character of Cross and those uh, players of the games who don't stick with a consistent team. They're the people who, whenever they hit a new area, they just build a completely new team. Or with the more powerful stuff they've been able to capture. And they don't even fill the boxes with Pokemon. They just get rid of them. They just ditch them. Like, there are players that run like that. And Cross seems to be like... Of reference to that sort of character, yet also about real life pet owners who abandon their pets and treat them badly. And this whole examination of the relationship between Pokemon and Pokemon trainers is also part of the Ho Oh yeah. thing. Yeah. That Ho Oh is a Pokemon that is not going to 
be captured ever, really. Like, he, these legendary Pokemons, they never end up, you know, being part of anyone's Pokemon deck. They never end up be, coming out of the Pokeballs and fighting, you know. They hang out and they do their own thing. And that's the fact that Ho-Oh endorses Ash and not Cross. The fact that you have all that stuff with the Feather, that the Feather will turn black and become corrupted if Cross tries to use it, that all of that stuff happens at the end, that it, that that literally what Cross is doing upsets the natural balance of yeah. the world, basically. Yeah. It, it, it all goes into that theme that the movie is taking this continuity reboot. It's using the opportunity of it to address that core relationship in the series. Yeah. Which I think is a good idea. It's one of the reasons that this continuity reboot works is that they've actually decided coming into it that they're going to actually do something a little more complex. Whereas all of the previous movies have just been like, here is this new legendary Pokemon from the latest version of the game and we're just going to have Pokemon movie guest starring Deoxys, guest starring Latios and Latias, you know, that, that... it's built around these legendary Pokemon, and the whole point of it is to get them to see them fight at and, the end. Yeah, Whereas, and it's better storytelling as well from a structural standpoint, because it is more A, B, C, D, instead of A, D, yeah. which the old ones were. Exactly. This is sort of, it is attempting a narrative, and it's attempting world building and character, and it's just treating it a little more like a narrative and a little less like, a feature-length special episode of the TV show. Yeah, like, like as you say, I agree, Lawson. With with those older movies, it does feel like they're featuring a particular Legendary from the new games. It's like an advertisement. But with this, Legendaries we see in this are like the Legendary Dogs and Ho-Oh and Marshadow. Those are all from separate generations. Yeah. And it's like a cross-generational story. Like It's like they looked for the... Pokemon who would actually fit the narrative best. Yeah, like Cross has an Incineroar. Yeah. Which is a fairly recent Pokemon. Not like the most recent start fire starter, but he's a recent fire starter Pokemon. And he's from like the uh, Alola region. So is Marshadow. Then you've got a Veritiodo Piplop. You've got Sorella and his Lucario. There's just so much more variety. And it feels like they were chosen with a purpose. Yeah. With, like, a narrative and a thematic reason. Not not just because they're the new shiniest toy. Mm. And that continues with the fights as well. The fights are driven by character yeah. and are driven by the story. It's not the other way around. It's not the story and the characters moving all of the time to set up this giant fight at yeah. the end with the legendary Pokemon of the day. It's... There, there is a point. You know, every fight that we have... Serves a point that you get that fight with the Pidgeys, you get that fight with Cross, that you you have the finale. It is all unexpectedly internal compared to the rest of the Pokemon stuff. All of the stuff is coming from the characters and their motivations and their points of view. And that even includes the motivations of the Pokemon themselves, like Charmander. Yeah, that's such a breath of fresh air. What the fuck is Nurse Joy? What is she? Because she's everywhere. There appears to be a Nurse Joy in every sort of town. Officer Jenny as well. I like to think that under the hats, there's like a little undiscovered Pokemon, which is connecting them to the hive mind. Like, like if you got all of the Nurse Joys into one place, they would all turn and say, 
Oh, is your Pokemon hurt? Let's be perfectly honest here. Like the origin of that is is it's, it's a joke about the reused yeah. assets in the original game. Yeah, like that's the origin from it. It's just sort of become part of an ongoing in joke yeah. that everyone sort of just accepts. Also, it. did you notice how at the end of this, Ash is like, "Yeah, we were in a battle with Ho-Ho, and Nurse Joy is like, "Oh, that's nice," and just keeps doing her work as if, "Oh, she's heard this shit before." It, like. Oh no, she she looks up suddenly, like, wait, what? Oh, does she? Yeah. What I like about this is that Marshadow, while an antagonizing force at the end, is not evil. No. Marshadow's purpose is to test the Rainbow Hero, test their metal pretty much, and emotional fortitude, and also, if someone does plant the Ho-Ho Feather when they themselves have an evil heart... Against its will, it just... Does what it needs Marshadow's to. just like, I must do my business. I'm sorry, Master. I must go all out just this once. It's the character of Cross and his attitude literally affecting the world yeah. at large. It's it's that's part of the the movie's whole themes. I think the fights, in addition to being driven by those themes and by the characters, are much better choreographed yeah. as well. They're just more yeah. interesting visually. Yeah. They're not just cut away to this character doing a move and then cut away to that other character it's being more hit dynamic. by that move. And it's more dynamic than that. There's just more going that, on. That fight between Charmander and Incineroar is great because as Charmander was hitting him, I was like, hold on, shit. Incineroar's taking the hits. He's taking the hits. He's the hill Pokemon. He will take he's the hits to get that last minute like burst of power. That's what you do in Smash Brothers with Incineroar. That's what you do with Incineroar in the game. Yeah. Like, something that does bother me, though, is that Verity challenges Ash to a Pokemon battle. Like, she has the Piplup, which is Water-type. Ash has the Pikachu. Sorry, Verity. You're shit out of luck. He's got type advantage. Ash tries to catch the Pinsir, and he throws out Caterpie. And I'm like, Bug versus Bug? What are you doing? What are you doing, Ash? Then Caterpie evolves into Metapod, whose energy is just exceptional. Like when they're stringing up the primates, it's like Metapod. Like it doesn't, it doesn't even care. Which leads me to the goodbye Butterfree bit. This is another recreation from the TV show, and it functions exactly the same in the TV show. Butterfree wants to go out with the rest of the the Butterfree. Butterfree wants to get laid. Come yeah. On. But if he wants to get laid, <laughs> and you know, be be with its. He wants kind, to get his proboscis wet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, John, that's gross. <laughs> anyway, and th- that whole story was about letting go. Yeah, about saying goodbye. And thematically, that's Ash letting go of his father. It's not. <laughs> what are you talking about? It's that sort of moment that further examines. Ash's methods of raising Pokemon and Cross's methods yeah. of raising Pokemon. Because Butterfree cries. Ash will let the Pokemon go if they want to. Yeah. Cross will just ditch them. It also gives you a greater insight into the world at large. That we're not just yeah. entirely focused on these trainers and their Pokemon battles, but like, here's this thing. And, and these are actually creatures with these complex social systems and, you know, traditions and things. And, and this is, this is this broad, wonderful mm. world. I mean, Sorel, he's going around and he's doing 
like, legitimate field research into legendary Pokemon, and he's a scientist. He knows how these Pokemon work. He literally says that you need medical training to be a Pokemon professor. So that's what he's doing. He's going out on the job. I thought all it took to be a Pokemon professor was to, one, own property, and two, have a tree name. (laughs) Do you own a house? Do you own a lab coat? Do you have a name that sounds like a plant? You got it, son. They don't call him Professor Oak for nothing. Yeah, John's implying that... (laughs) That's not his real name, that's the nickname Ash's mother gave him. But the movie looks good, too. Like, it looks good, it looks professional, it looks... Nice, what they're doing with the lighting. Oh, yeah, I was surprised by the lighting. In the part where the storm is happening at the beginning, with the lightning effects and everything, I thought that lighting and that animation is gorgeous. There's just more artistry here. There's just more going on here on every conceivable level. It's so much more professional. It, it feels like a movie. Yeah. It's, including the score as well. I mean, the score in the English dub is different from the score in the Japanese dub. The score in the English dub is done by Ed Goldfarb. And it's very piano heavy. Oh, yeah. And it's very sort of bittersweet. Especially and... the bit at the end hmm. in the credits. As it's like panning over the, the sunrise on the earth, it does the... really <laughs> when that moment happened i turned to harley and said you know what this would probably make a bunch of nerds weep but i'm sitting here like i'm not as invested in the narrative yeah. of the anime it's a song called i choose you sung by haven Paschal, yeah. who or pascal he who it voices some of the characters as oh, yeah. well but then you also have the cover of the the sad piano cover of the main theme at the very very end of the credits, it's like it's like at the end of Infinity yeah. War when you get the, the the cover of the Avengers theme as the title starts to fade away. It's a strangely elegant. And I sort of chafe at the idea of calling a Pokemon movie artistic, but it is artistic. Yeah. It's like Pokemon by way of Ghibli. Eh. Let's not go that far, but... But it's it's certainly effective. It has a kind of painterly classical style. I mean, that's really what I'm trying to, to hit on here. It's, it's almost a fairy tale style, yeah. isn't it? That it feels sort of... It feels like a classical children's story, almost. The quest, the adventure... The prophecy. Yeah, learning about friendship. Yeah, uh, I think that this is so effective because, one, it brings it all back to, like, the core original story, as well as it has a reverence for the franchise. Yeah. And that moment with the piano at the end, it, it takes itself seriously. Yeah. It, mm. It's not a commercial for the next Pokemon game, it's... A celebration, yeah. more than anything. It's a significant step. It takes the emotion seriously. Yeah. It takes the impact seriously. It's not just it's not just a fight, you know. This is a movie that's finally treating the narrative and the characters with some sort of impact. Yeah. 
and some sort of seriousness. And that goes to that final thing that the movie can have that moment at the end because it's earned yeah. it. It's yeah. earned the emotion that that cover carries. Is there anything else you guys would like Ash to talk about? Ash shit and dies? <laughs> he does. <laughs> and Ho-Ho's right. like, everyone gets one and brings him back. I do like that sequence, though. That's super melodramatic, but it does work. I would have loved if in the spirit realm where Ash ends up, if his father's voice just comes in and says, You did good, son. You did real good. All of the possessed Pokemon are about to shoot all their like hyper beams and whatever at... Pikachu and Ash. Then you get a recreation of that thing at the beginning with the Pidgeys. Yeah. Yeah. Ash eats shit and dies. He gets sent to the astral plane. Are we to understand that that Pikachu talking is a hallucination? I think so, yeah. Alright. I wanna have you seen the clip online of people in the theater, all these Pokemon fans reacting to that? No, I haven't. No. I think this might be it. I I hear a variety of different things yeah. coming from that crowd. I must admit, it worked for me. Yeah. Because, you know, that's the story they're telling here. Yeah. Like, the whole question is, and it's brought up multiple times, why doesn't he go in the Pokeball? Yeah, I'm not sure that tracks, though. That might just be Ash's, you know, fevered, dying brain. Oh, I'm not saying that it isn't, but it's like, it's one of the narrative questions of the film. Yes, it is It is a nice sentiment. Yeah. It does sort of defy the point that he is already insistent on being out of the Pokeball long before yeah. Ash comes along. Yeah. But I suppose you could say that the reason for it has now changed, that he is now so yeah. attached to Ash he wants to spend as it, much time as he can. It wouldn't nearly there. have the same impact if Pikachu says, I respect my independence, death to fascists. Yeah. I want to be out here because out here is the only place that's real. I learned that from James Halliday from Ready Player One. At the end of the day, I, I think that he's not hallucinating. I think that it, it's something to do with the energy of the place and the fact like Ho-Oh's magic is also present there, like sort of like a weird sort of like semi-connection thingy to it. Or, or that he is separate Separating from his body at yeah. that point is sort of in yeah. this weird limbo between life and death, and he connects with Pikachu's mm. mind. Maybe I don't know. This is all. It's a. It's a nice moment. It's a bit on the nose. It's a bit. A bit full of. Yeah, it's saccharine, but it's effective. Uh, I also like the bit where he's like running through the afterlife. Yeah. That was funny. And just, like, visually, the sweeping landscapes of places we get, it's so weird! That was, like, the afterlife <laughs> places in Assassin's Creed Origins. But, like, how horrifying is that, too, when you actually start to put that into the context of it? This is a ten-year-old that's been killed by wild animals. Yeah. Yeah. Put that into the context of it. So when they're doing all of these fights and things, and when they get in all these situations, this isn't just, you know, sort of friendly Pokemon battles when they're battling these wild Pokemon. If one of these wild Pokemon got pissed enough, it would kill Pikachu, it would kill Ash, it would kill all of his that friends. That Onyx was inches away from doing that. So they're just sending these 10-year-olds off to... It's it's like if you sent me off into the woods to go and fight dingoes or something. It's, 
It's like I have a domesticated dog and I have no particular survival training whatsoever. I would die in like a week. Get him, Maggie. Oh, Maggie would just think the dingo wanted to be her friend and... Yeah, she'd go pretty quickly, I think. With the this sort of, like, afterlife area, it reminded me of Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> like a really strange reason, but it felt very strange and surreal. Yeah. You know? It was like these constantly shifting landscapes. At one point, he's running through this field. Another point, he's running on the sky. Like, with all the land below him, over the ocean, and stuff like that. It's like, to me, it was really effective because it was so strange. Yeah, it was. Mm. And it felt significant in that regard. Then Ho-Oh just yeets him back to life. And to thank Ho-Oh for this brilliant gift, he's like, all right, Ho-Ho, let's fight. Oh, well, that's the movie, like, as I keep saying, that's the movie letting it off the hook. That's the movie saying that this is a social thing, not a a competitive beat him to death thing. Ho-Oh's like, well, you earned your shot, take a swing at the king. Imagine if Ho-Oh got super pissed and was like, you know what? You had your chance. Cause or whatever. <laughs> and Ash just falls down dead. Maybe Ho-Oh holds sway over his life for the rest of his time on the Earth. Maybe he's immortal now. Maybe this is why he never ages. If Ash does anything wrong, ho is just like, I rescind the life I gave you. Zap! <laughs> Alright, we've done 70 minutes on this Pokemon movie. I'm not sure I can take any more. Okay. So, <laughs> there isn't anything in the parents' guide this week. To a really big disgust. There's only just like a really creepy fixation with describing the swimsuits that the 10-year-old characters are wearing. Ugh, yeah. Not the fact that Christ. a child dies and a Pokemon freezes to death next to its master. Well, that stuff's in there too. It's just, again, the, the only real uh, ones that really are interesting to pull out here are the ones that are overreactions or are phrased in an odd way. And... These ones aren't. They are perfectly well within their rights to have those reactions. That, like, there you go. It's Ash, the main character, is killed by a Pokemon. It is a very sad scene, but he comes back to life. A Pokemon freezes to death while trying to rescue a young child from a blizzard. I mean, these are just simple statements of fact. But then you got, in the sex and nudity section, Ash and Verity wear bathing suits in one scene, but nothing revealing. Yeah, no shit, Sherlock. They're ten. Jesus. Anyways, before we leave off, why don't we all go around and in each say what our favourite scene or sequence is. And what our favourite Pokemon is. Also, before that, we also have to specify we watch the English dub. Yeah. So our choices are primarily based on that. We don't know what the performances were like in the original language dub. And also some things might have been just slightly different Mm. there. But this one looks like it skews pretty close. Well, let's go around and say what our favourite scene or sequence was and who our MVP is for this movie. I will start us off and I will say that my MVP is my mother for taking me to see the first Pokemon movie. I that that's the kind of parental self-sacrifice that I don't know if I'm capable of that makes me question whether I want to commit to 18 years of having to deal with some kid's bullshit <laughs> I'm not sure that I could take it are you saying you wouldn't be willing to sit through Trolls 17 yeah. but she she sat through it all she took me to see it she must really love me so that's the, my MVP is my mother for suffering through that 20 years ago in terms of my favorite scene or sequence, I am I'm going to go with the the first bit just after Pikachu has met Ash. All of the stuff with recalcitrant Pikachu not wanting any part of this. Uh that stuff's all very fun for me. I find that really 
amusing. I find that dynamic between the two of them a lot of fun. I actually wish it had lasted longer. I wish that had been more of the movie. But I I I like you wanted us to do our favourite Pokemon too, Jean, Pikachu. I mean, it's the only one with that kind of a personality, that deeper personality. I mean, maybe Mewtwo, but Mewtwo doesn't have a fun personality. Mewtwo has like this tortured, you know, pretend Batman personality. Bill Nye Pikachu, Pikachu is just fun. and Well, no, Bill Nye is more interesting than Mewtwo. Pikachu just has character it's he's adorable. People's faces he's cute. that look like other he's Pokemon. Funny, exactly. He's the most expressive of Pokemon. That when he does that to, to that Bulbasaur, that I wanted that Bulbasaur's reaction to be like, "Excuse me, I don't look like that." So, what about you, John? What did you? What do you have? Here? My MVP is the woman who voices Pikachu because Ikue Otani, because she has voiced Pikachu in everything and does such a good job at the different little nuances with the Pikachu thing. And we actually hear her speak in this one, I I guess. So that's interesting. Well, no, um, she is replaced in the English dub by an English-speaking oh. actress for that one moment. Oh. But anyway, so I give it to her because she... Well, she doesn't speak English, John. What do you okay. want? Okay, okay. So I, I, I'll give it to her. Boo for them not forcing a Japanese actress to speak in a language she doesn't understand. Boo! Anyway, I appreciate the fact that she's been Pikachu all this time. She's the only one of the original voice yeah. cast remaining in the English dub, at least. I, I mentioned last week that they're all replaced at a certain point except for her. Yeah, so... After the murder. <laughs> huh? What was that? After the murder. Sure. So I appreciate her ongoing presence in Pokemon, and she's a legend. My favourite moment, I think... I don't know, is probably that the scene where Sorel is talking to them about why he's doing what he does, and with the Pokemon freezing to death, because it was the first moment where I was like, holy shit, we're seeing a dead Pokemon on the screen. Holy shit. Holy shit. It's not just that, John. It's the first time we see death on the screen where they don't disintegrate or turn to stone. That's also a very good point. So that was... I, I think that was pretty cool. It was a more, It was a more mature take on that world and i'm interested to see wait that yeah john and what is your favorite pokemon oh as i said earlier it's gotta be psyduck both for both for the fact that psyduck is just this adorable little dum-dum but him in detective pikachu him in in this movie where he sees he sees a fish pokemon jump out of the water and he's holding his head as if he doesn't understand that fish exist and it's... I love Psyduck so much. Quagsa is my second favorite. And then Madkip. Okay, so I would have to give my MVP to Aya Oshima, the cinematographer, because the visual style of the film... In animation, it's difficult to say camera placement, but the framing is what the cinematographer is responsible for. And the framing keeps it interesting, keeps the fights dynamic, actually has something to do. It, it's not lazy work, it's really, really good work. Mm. And that goes along with the animation style, the lighting effects they use, it just keeps it interesting. Yeah. And the fact that Lawson didn't get bored by the fights really demonstrates mm. that. Because Lawson has watched, like, so many mm-hmm. of them. In a row. And, yeah, so... Good on you Ayo for that. Shima really 
made it work. My favorite scene would have to be Goodbye Butterfree. Mm. I cried when I saw it the first time when I was a kid, when they had that in the original TV show. I cried with the song they created for it that we had on a little disc, like a little CD. We had a collection of Pokemon songs on a CD, and they had a song about Goodbye Brother. We still on got it. that. Yeah, we did, and it's actually really sad, but it's a really effective scene. Yeah. It, it teaches Ash that sometimes you have to let go, and that letting go is not a bad thing. And he says, "We'll always be friends." Yeah, and, and that sort of thing. It, it's a very mature moment, and I really respect that. My favorite Pokemon. It's a complex question, uh, but the one I've currently landed on, and it's sort of the unofficial symbol for my character in Sword and Shield, is Shuckle. <laughs> I just sent a picture to the group chat. Of what Shuckle looks like. Shuckle is the mold Pokemon. Aww. Lawson, describe what Shuckle looks like, because I want to hear you go through that. Shuckle just kind of looks like a bewildered dinosaur. Yep, that's sufficient for But me. he's like this big, uh, Lawson. Like, Shuckle is like a dual bug rock type, mm. and you don't get that a lot. That's a pretty good, balanced setup. And he's just funny looking. And he's just silly looking. And those happen to be some of my favorites. Yeah, the silly looking Pokemon. I do have some that just look really rad and dangerous and sharp and spiky. But I love the round ones that look like they can't be a threat. Like Quagsa, Psyduck, Shuckle. Lickitung and Shuckle. They're like... See, Lick- Licky Licky, however, seems like a threat. Yeah, I don't like Licky Licky. But I like the ones shaped like friends. Yes. I just want to say here, they just decoded one of the Zodiac yeah. Killer's letters after 50 years. Yeah, they did. He mentions that he's killing people because he wants slaves in heaven. Yeah, I think he did that in one of the other letters too. He could have just played Pokemon. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. I, I am fascinated by the darker facets of that world, because you know that there would be, like... Serial killers. The serial killers, the the people who who want to collect their little army to wait on them or get buried with their Pokemon when they die and things like that. Like ancient Egyptian pharaohs. The Zodiac would have an entire team of unknown just spelling the name. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea that he's got a Rotom, which he uses to listen in on the radio... Frequencies of the police. <laughs> and Officer Jenny comes across Nurse Joy dead, and it's like, shit, we've got another one. Alright. So, Lawson, what episode do we have for them next week? Well, next week will be a little bit of a different episode. It won't be our usual setup. We won't be doing a what we've been watching segment. We won't be doing a deep dive on a movie that I've watched this week because. It will be a bonus episode. These two are going away for Christmas, and so we had to record one in advance. So we're doing a special bonus episode where we talk about the worst movie I've ever seen. Uh, it is Scream. Not that Scream, a different Scream. A Scream that came out in 1981 and was so underseen and so forgotten that they had no problem just reusing the title 15 years later for the Scream that you all know. That will be up next week, but the week after that, we will have a new episode coming out where we will be talking about being John Malkovich. Malkovich. If anyone would like to watch that head screw up, Along with us, you can find it for purchase or rental on the Apple, YouTube, and Fetch stores. Yes, and I must say, from the perspective of future Harley, Scream is confused. Yes, well, this was the thing that... The, the reason that we did it was uh, 
because we've been having this ongoing conversation for years now, is that I've contended that you two never had any conception of what I mean when I say the worst movie I've ever seen. That you two have can't have have really understood what it means when I say that this movie is that bad because you have no... Because our frame of reference is flawed. Yes, exactly. So this was a a contest between us to see if I was right or not. So you'll have to tune in next week to see if I was exaggerating or not and whether these two accepted my contention or not. And for anyone who wants to watch that version of Scream, you can't. Yes. And you shouldn't. You simply can't. They had to come over to my house and watch a disc version. One of a limited amount. Ah, uh, yes, a limited run. You can't get it anymore. I am one of a couple of thousand people in the world who own a copy of that on Blu-ray. And hurrah. And let me tell you, you need to see this movie in high definition. Like, there's no seeing it if it's not in high definition. Yeah, we'll look forward to that episode for that discussion. You can find us at each of our blogs. You can find Lawson at Exit Through the Candy County. You can find John and myself at On the Bright Side. Those links are in the description wherever it appears on your podcast app of choice. You can also reach us through our Twitter, which is the best place to come to us with specific episode feedback. Feedback on the whole is best suited to the commenting thing on your podcast apps. It also shows audience retention, which also looks very good for the algorithm. So you could also like, comment, and subscribe. You can also share it with your friends. So I have been Holly Lewis. Lawson Keith. I have been the now and future Pokemon champion, John No, you know, I am the Pokemon master here, you are filthy cheater. Okay, then I guess I'll just be John Lewis. John Lewis! Look far and wide, release from my hand the power that's inside. Venomoth, Poliwag, Nidorino, Golduck, Ivasaur, Glimmer, Victory Bell, Moltres, Nidoking, King, Farfetch, Abra, Jigglypuff, Kingler, Rhyhorn, Clefable, Wigglytuff. Catch em, catch em, gotta catch em all, gotta catch em all, Pokemon! Zubat, Primate, Meowth, Onyx, Geodude, Rapidash, Magneton, Snorlax, Gengar,